Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, you know, in this series, we are looking at kind of buzzwords used within Christianity, especially in the context of a church. And we've looked at things like what is the Trinity? Uh, what is law and commandments? What is hell all about? What is heaven all about? And this morning, we're going to look at a topic that comes up in conversations with me constantly. And so I want to make sure that we have a full, good understanding of this word justification. Now, when we use the word justify or justification, we often use the word in terms of giving an excuse or a reason why I've done something. Uh, officer, you know, I know we're supposed to stop for like three seconds at a stop sign, but I have to do this. And so we give an excuse or we try to justify our actions. That's not what the word justification means when it's in the context of Scripture. It's not what it means. So I want you for a real brief moment to think, and maybe it'd be helpful to close your eyes in this process, to think for a moment, what if, when you opened your eyes in 30 seconds, what was on the screen behind us was a movie reel of everything you've ever thought or did in this life, everything. Every secret thought, every word muttered under your breath when someone said, what'd you say? But you knew what you said. Every action, every reaction, every dream, every desire that you've had, if it was plastered on the screen for all the world to see, and then God said, let's go second by second. How do you think you would respond to that? How would you react? Gut reaction. Well, I'll tell you what my gut reaction is. I'd be absolutely terrified. Without Christ, I would be absolutely undone. I would be embarrassed. Because if you are like me, which I know you are, there are things that you have thought that no one else knows that you've thought that. And they might think much better of you going, oh, he'd never think about that. He would never dwell on that. He would never feel that way. You'd be surprised. Because if you are thinking it, if you are feeling it, I guarantee you other people have thought it and felt it. And to have it on full display, I think, would be tremendously embarrassing for all of us. Now, we cannot avoid the day when Jesus comes as judge. Kind of that whole topic of heaven and hell dealt with the fact that there would be a day of reckoning where we would give answers for our actions, our thoughts, our passions, our inactions. Everything that we have kept hidden from everyone else will be on full display. So how do we avoid that embarrassing, terrifying moment before God and the rest of the world when our life is revealed? Christ is coming. And he is coming as a judge. All the book of Revelation is showing forth that there will be an end time dealing with everything you've said and thought, everything you did not say and did not do that God required of you. But in Galatians 3.13, we have this beautiful verse that should set us at ease. Paul says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, all of our sins, by becoming a curse for us, taking our sin. If you're like me, 
I know that there are things that you have thought and did that are not just terrifying if they be revealed, but embarrassing. And you may think for a moment that those are unforgivable, that there is no way that God can possibly overlook it. Well, he doesn't overlook anything, but he does deal with it. He deals with it by saying to his son, you deal with it. You pay the consequences. You die a death on their behalf. You take the embarrassment. You take the terrifying judgment of my hand of justice. You bear it. You live it. You endure it. You die for it. And if Christ has died for all of your individual sins, past, present, and future, and he's died for mine and the people sitting next to you, then what fear do we have when the judge comes? We should have no fear because all the sin has been paid for. You see, justification is God looking at us just as if we've never sinned. And I know that is a real simplification of the word justification, but it really gets at the heart of it. It is just as if we have never sinned. Do you know what that feels like? I don't. I've got no concept of what that feels like. I have never lived a moment of my existence without sinning. I have been selfish as a little baby, crying out, wanting attention. I've been selfish as an adult, crying out, wanting attention. I do not know what an existence feels like. I don't know what a day feels like without dealing with sin. I want to know that. I want to experience. I want to walk in the freedom of that. But even though I know that Jesus forgives, that he paid the price on the cross, that he became a curse on my behalf, that he died for me, I still wake up the next morning having to struggle with this thing called sin. And in the back of my mind, I think to myself, can God really forgive that one? Can he really forgive that one? Yes, he'll forgive those and those and those and those, but those? Because I know if the reel of my life was played as a movie for you, I know for a fact you would look at me different. You would think about me different. You would listen to my words on a Sunday morning and go, yeah, but Tim, I saw you do that. How can you preach that when you think that and feel that and you've done that? I know there's some of you that would never come back because you wouldn't be able to forgive the way Christ forgives. And we would all be in that same situation. Your life would be on there and we would view you differently. But this thing called justification puts an end to that cycle of feeling bad about your sin. Wouldn't it be nice to wake up in the morning and not feel bad about your sin? Yeah, you realize you sin, you know how to deal with it, it's forgiven and you go on, but to dwell in the badness and sorrow and guilt of it, God gives us a way out, and it's called justification. Now, God does not justify us 
because we are worthy to be justified. He does not forgive us because we are worthy to be forgiven. He does not show us mercy because we are worthy to be shown mercy. He does not show us grace because we earn grace. He justifies us because of this thing that he has for you called love. He loves you as his child. And in that love, unmotivated by you, without looking at the real and movie of your life, he forgives you and cleanses you, and Christ becomes that curse. He becomes the one who takes the punishment, the pain, the suffering on your behalf. But because he justifies us, we are then worthy, worthy to do two amazing things. Now, there's a lot of things, but two really pinnacle moments in your existence that changes you forever. One, you get to call God, get this, Father. You get to call him Father. And in fact, the way that Christ Christ describes it in the New Testament, you get to call him Abba. And you go, I thought that was the name of an Australian band that just restarted again. No, it means Literally, daddy. Wow. Privilege. It should only be your kids. But that is an intimate family name, daddy and mommy. And being justified gives you that one right, that one privilege. You get to call God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, the all-knowing, all-being, the one who controls the winds and the rain, the sun, who controls every single molecule and atom in all this universe and declares, it is mine. He says, you get to cry out to me and say, Daddy, help. Daddy, forgive. Daddy. And the second thing that that justification does in that family relationship is he, God, Daddy, looks at you and says, daughter, son. He adopts you into his family and treats you as one of his children. Amazing, mind-boggling when you think of the movie of your life being played in front of everyone with every thought, every intention, every lie, everything you've stolen, every ill word you've spoken, every hatred in your heart, it is all there revealed. And he says, you call me daddy, I'll call you daughter and son, and nothing will come between that. And so that's what justification is. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, the prophet Isaiah says, this is God speaking, I I am he who blots out transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember, or I will I will not remember your sins. Two really cool things are happening in that one little verse, which is talking about justification, just as if we've never sinned. The first is that he blots out our transgressions. Now, transgression is a big fancy word. Transgression simply means what? Sin. It's a sin. 
A transgression is a sin, whether it's omission or commission. Whether I was supposed to do something and I didn't, or I did something that I wasn't supposed to do, it doesn't matter. God blots out transgressions. Why does he do it? According to that verse, why does he do it? For his sake. Not to make me a better person, not to make me feel guiltless, not to do something in me. But he says, if you're my child, you need to be clean. You need to be as if you've never sinned. So you're carrying God's name, and he says, because you're carrying his name, he needs you to be perfect in his presence. So for his own sake, he's going to make you perfect since he's adopted you into his family and made you part of his household. He cleanses you for his own sake. Yes, we receive a a tremendous benefit. We receive benefit. But he goes through this process so that his name would be great, so that his name would be praised, so that you would be able to cry out in the most darkest, deepest moment, Daddy, Father. And the second thing that verse says is that he will remember our sins no more. Other places talks about turning our sins from scarlet to white as snow or removing it from as far as the east is from the west. I long for the day when I don't remember your sins anymore. I long for a day when I don't remember my sins. It's not that God forgets he's omniscient when it comes to your sin, all-knowing. It is he doesn't look at you and think of sin. And I know there's people in our lives maybe even family members, that may have hurt us or slighted us or offended us at some point. And so every time we think of that person's name or see them, that event comes back. How they hurt us. How they hurt us. How they hurt us. And if we think about it long enough, we start telling other people how they hurt us. Oh, I saw you talking to so-and-so. You know what they did to me when I was in sixth grade? Yeah, you're right. They did. Can you believe that? And so you spread that disgust, you spread that sin, you spread that hurt. God doesn't do that. God does not look at that movie of our life and start sharing it with others, saying, can you believe he did that? I can't. He really did? He did it twice in one day. I don't think we know what it's like to forgive and forget. Because we always kind of have in the back of our mind the hurt that that person caused us. But God, when he forgives, when he justifies us, looks at us as if we've never sinned, it's gone. Completely gone. I want to look at Romans chapter 8. And so if you are there with me, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39, I think these are verses that can be very familiar to us. And if they're not familiar to us, They need to be. They need to be. Romans 8, 31 through 39, talks about not just justification, but how we wrestle with it, knowing that we still have conflict with sin. And that's what chapter 8 in Romans does. It really talks about how do we live in a world where I still offend people and people still offend me? How do I deal with that nagging question? Is God going to hold this over me? Is God going to one day punish me for it? Is he going to get me back for the way I've thought or for the way I've acted towards others? I think this chapter in general, and especially these last few verses, really helps us understand this idea of justification 
and how to live with it and answer all of those questions about, well, what if in the future this happens? Romans 8 and Paul deals with it perfectly. So we're going to take this verse by verse for a little bit. Well, a little bit meaning till we get to verse 39 and the end of the chapter. So Paul starts out to say, what shall we say to these things? And he's basically talking about uh, living in the Spirit. He's talking about being heirs with Christ, being sons and daughters. He's talking about our future glory with God. And so Paul says, what should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, that's a rhetorical question. We're not supposed to answer that because the answer should be obvious. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, lots of people can be against us, but it's meaningless. He's talking about who's in our corner. Does it matter who's in the, op- you know, the opposing corner? Absolutely not. He further defines that and says why we shouldn't care about the opposition. Because I'll tell you, I can talk about God's love, forgiveness, mercy, grace, justification, all I want. I can talk to you about all the hopes of heaven, all the joys of heaven, everything about heaven and God's glory, all I want. And there will be someone. His name is Satan. Who will step in in every one of those moments, and maybe he's doing it to you this morning, saying, yeah, Tim's not talking about you. You are too far gone. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, God forgives the big ones, lying and maybe deceit and and stealing, but he's not going to forgive that pornography problem or the drug problem or being unfaithful to a spouse problem. You see, Satan is very good at, well, lying and trying to put a wedge between you and others and you and God. He loves nothing more than for you to go, this is for everybody but me. Tim has no clue what I've thought, what I've done. I, I don't know the particulars, but it's probably a lot like what I've done and what I've thought. But he will tell you, things are different for you. Your sin is too bad to be forgotten and just simply forgiven and blotted out. Don't believe the lies that your sin is different than everyone else's. Don't believe the lie that you are too far gone. Don't believe the lie God can't help you. That's Satan. That's sin. That's evil speaking in your life. But he continues to say, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God already gave the biggest sacrifice possible, his son to die on behalf of our sins, to become a curse for us, is he not going to finish the job? Of course he will. He started with the biggest thing. Isn't he going to take care of our daily needs, our daily struggles, our daily sins? Absolutely he will. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? No one. Satan can whine and cry and fuss and stamp his feet and yell all he wants. It doesn't matter if the world saw a movie of your life. God's forgiven it. As one of his children, God has forgiven it. 
God's not looking at any of that going, oh, you're right, I should have punished him for it. You're right, that's too bad. Yeah, that's right, he sinned against me 70 times 7 the same day. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? No one. But you can guilt yourself into it. You can convince you're different. That little voice can say, but you're the exception. There is no exception. When God places his love on you, it is on you. And all of these things are then true of you. Every single one of them. Who is it that condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Not only has God said, Jesus is going to become the curse for you and deal with all your sin. Not only has he said, I'm going to lavish you with a relationship where you call me daddy and I call you son and daughter. Not only am I going to grace you with the bounties of heaven and an inheritance that is far too good to even explain in human words, I am going to make sure my son constantly speaks to me about your righteousness that he placed on you. You are never out of God's mind. You are never forgotten by God. Jesus is constantly interceding, praying on your behalf that you would have strength and wisdom and endurance, that you would know what is right and do what is right. He is always in your corner as your permanent, eternal cheerleader. And I know that sounds really cheapened for what he's done. But he is constantly promoting you and asking the Father to love you and help you. You may not get that from one another. I understand that. Friends come and go in our lives. Relatives come and go in our lives. But the one thing that is constant in your life, even through death, is the Son interceding for you. He continues and says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Wow, that's a pretty big question. Who can separate you from the love of Christ? And before you say, Tim, I, I got the answer to it, let me read what Paul says. Shall tribulation? Eh, maybe. Uh, shall distress? Ooh, I don't like distress. Persecution? I'm too scared. For persecution, I'm, I'm real sensitive. I'm, I'm, I don't take pain real well. What about famine? Oh, I love to eat. Or nakedness? That's embarrassing. Or danger? Or sword? All of those things might separate us from one another. But the question is being asked rhetorically. Paul says, what can separate you from the love of Christ? Can these things and then he answers it for us. Because we might think some of those things can separate us. Maybe Satan can finally put a wedge in and separate us. Maybe that sin finally will separate us from God. Maybe that sin finally will reveal that we are sinners. And everyone will reject us, defriend us, block us, and cancel us. But Paul reminds us, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are slaughtered as sheep. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul says in verse 37, No, 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That is Jesus. Then Paul says the most encouraging, heartfelt words of what it means to be in God's presence as if we've never sinned. He says, I am sure that neither death nor life, two big ones, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Listen to these words. Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can separate you from God's love? What can separate you from that relationship of God as our Abba Father and you as His child? What can get in the way of that? What sin can you commit that will destroy that relationship and forever make you enemies? Paul would say, nothing. Nothing. Can God's work on the cross through Jesus Christ be that powerful? Can it really give you that much love? Can it really show you that much value and worth that nothing can separate you from God's love in Christ? Certainly, Paul, there must be something that can destroy and ravish that relationship. There's got to be. Because that's how we treat one another. If it gets too bad, we separate. If it gets too bad, we divorce. If it gets too bad, we kill. I am so thankful that God is not like us. That he doesn't treat us as we deserve that his love and dedication to us cannot be broken or stopped because he doesn't feel like it today. He feels like loving you every day. No matter what plays on that movie reel, he looks at you and says, I love them so deeply that their past can't separate them, your present can't separate you. Your future sins can't separate you. Your arrogance can't separate you. Your self-interest, your pride can't separate you. Nothing. You feeling bad about yourself can't separate you from God's love. That's what happens in this thing called justification. That's what it's like to begin to live in a moment as if you have never sinned. It's being absolutely confident that when he says, you call me Father, and that's a forever relationship, it's forever. It doesn't end. I'd encourage you that um, if you do not scan that little QR code, in that little QR code, there is a section that either takes you to the Bible version app that we use. Even if you don't have the Bible version app that we use, it doesn't matter. You still can get to all this information. 
You can get to the entirety of the sermon slides, everything that we go through and don't go through. But this week I have in the Digging Deeper section, which is a section in that, uh, uh, on, on that app that says Digging Deeper. You click on that and it takes you to questions that I ask throughout the week. So things that you can use for a devotional. One of those this week is to outline 14 benefits to justification. And I just want to read through those real quickly to, test your, or to take your appetite from, eh, I don't want to scan that, Tim, that's weird, uh, to, wow, I should probably look that up. Listen to some of these. There is peace with God, forgiveness of sins, freedom from condemnation. No one can bring a charge against you. You can rejoice that you've been delivered from God's wrath. Nothing to fear from God. You have access to God. You are children and heirs of God. We are in Christ forever. We have hope, joy, glory, enduring. we can endure suffering, and we have purpose. We are given and granted eternal life. Nothing can separate us from God's love. We saw that one. It is the basis of true happiness. And, as Paul says in Philippians 3, it is extremely valuable. You cannot buy it. You cannot replace it. But it is eternal. So I would encourage you to look at that. And if you need help with that, you know, come to me. We'll, we'll help you figure that out. Even though I'm a little bit above that 30-year range, uh, I still know how to figure that out, and I can help you figure that out. It is so valuable. But I want to take us home today by looking just at verse 1 of chapter 8 of Romans. We looked at the end of the chapter. This is how the chapter started. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation, for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can play on your life's movie that will condemn you, that will separate you, that will take you away from that relationship as God, the Father, Daddy. Nothing. Doesn't matter what you tell me you've done or want to do. Nothing can separate you from God. There is no condemnation. No one can charge you and make you doubt his love for you. If that does not give you cause and reason to praise him, I got nothing else. I got nothing better. That is the best I can give you on why your life should be lived to the fullest with joy and peace and thanksgiving then you before his eyes live as if you've never sinned because of the work of Christ. Why don't you stand? I'm going to close us in prayer. The band's going to come up and lead us that song that emphasizes the wholeness of this entire thing we're talking about, being justified before God. Let's pray. Father, uh, we are bombarded each day, maybe even, even now, that we're not worthy, that we're not good enough, that we've messed it up so bad that we no longer have any chances. Father, remove from us that sinful thought. It's nothing but pride and arrogance that we are somehow different and special and unique in a sinful way. Lord, we bow before your throne knowing we need your mercy and grace. We're not arrogant. But Father, thank you for putting your love upon us. 
In your son's name we pray. Amen.